three, two, one. Everybody, welcome back to another week of Let's Dig In podcast. I'm your host, Chef Rich Rosendale, and we're joined with our co-hosts, Christopher Ryloff and Rachel Barnett. And this week, we have a very good friend and an extremely talented chef, Danny Sterling. Uh, Danny is a Greenbrier Apprentice alumni. He's worked with lots of great chefs, uh, lots of great restaurants over the years. Uh, he also helped launch Rosendale Collective in the very early days. Uh, after I left the Greenbrier, he was a pillar of getting the company up and running. Uh, but also this year, we wanted to talk to him about the launch of his high-end vending machine concept uh, based out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and he launched this in the midst of the pandemic. Like so many people who had a plan with their company and where they were going to take it, uh, this pandemic came in and had other plans. So Danny had to pivot and adjust uh, and see through that crazy adversity of the year 2020 was. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, let's dig in with Chef Danny Sterling. For those of our listeners that maybe don't know you, um, if you can just kind of give us an overview of your background uh, and and what you do now. Yeah, I've, I'm fortunate. I've had a lot of practice doing this. I used to hate it whenever we did the classes and Rich would turn the <laughs> mic over to me. And <laughs> All right. And like, uh, you know, let's let's introduce Danny. And the very first class we ever did, I was like, you know, this I think I was like 23, like never had talked to anybody about what I had done. And I was like, oh, in front of like a room full of chefs taking this class of Rich. So like Rich goes and talks about how he's like a certified master chef and did Boku's door. And I'm like, I, uh, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I've done a lot of things. It's, it's cool to, to be here now and, and talk with Rich about this stuff. And Chris, obviously you've been a big part of my career and you followed along as well but uh yeah you know I've been cooking for a long time I say that I'm sure there's probably listeners on your show that have been cooking for a lot longer but I started whenever I was 14 professionally I didn't realize how early that was until I kind of got into the game and um fine dining was kind of always my my dream and my passion and I got into fine dining um whenever I went to culinary school and I always thought that like Michelin star cooking would kind of be like the pinnacle of my career and where I wanted to go so I went to the Greenbrier and that's where I met Rich for the first time. And um, I worked for him as a sophomore and a junior apprentice. And then after that, I went to the Everglades Club in uh, Florida for a little while and worked under Peter Timmons. Um, I was doing a little bit of competing during that time. And, and then I got, uh, I got to go work at 42 Grams in Chicago. So I did a little stint in Michelin Star Cooking. And whenever I was there, I kind of realized that uh, Michelin Star Cooking wasn't really where I wanted to be. And uh, I actually had like a pending job offer with Rich. He and I had been talking and he was like, you know, I'm, I'm looking to do something a little bit different. Um, if you're interested, let me know. And uh, whenever I got to Chicago, I realized that I did want to do something different. Um, and, and it was funny. It was actually, uh, and we'll probably dive a little bit into this during this podcast, but um, I was working at 42 grams and, you know, I was used to the green briar and being an apprentice and having, having hours that were crazy, but we were working every day from like 9am to 1am. And uh, I was having a beer with one of my buddies from Alinea. And I said, you know, this is really cool. Like, this is, a, this is what I've worked, you know, at that point, I had been cooking for like five or six years. And I said, this is what I really wanted to get to in my career. And I wanted to grow here. And I said, but all this effort that we're putting in for 18 people a night just seems excessive. Like, we're not, 
solving any problems in food. We're not, you know, curing world hunger. We're not, you know, fixing any problems. And uh, that really kind of was a turning point for me. So I took the job with Rich. Um, was a I, I would like to note I was probably one of the first employees for Rosendale Collective. Yeah, you were. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those were the early days. The early days, yeah. The garage it's days. Different now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we were talking about that a little bit before, but uh, yeah, you know that was a great experience, and um, I was also a part of the team that opened Roots um, Six Fifty Seven. And during that time, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, and that was kind of a rough time for us just in general because Rich and I were running around the country like doing classes. I think that literally the week that I got like diagnosed was we had just gotten back from doing like the C the first CMC class, um, two back to back events in Detroit and then something else like Rich and I didn't sleep for like three days. Yeah, there was a lot. <laughs> I mean, I kind of remember the uh, Detroit one, <clears throat> excuse me, but we <laughs> vaguely, uh, but I, too. didn't we, yeah. didn't we like leave like right from the hotel? Like, I don't know, we slept for like 45 minutes or something yeah yeah i do remember several times you like passed out (laughs) i can sleep anywhere (laughs) i know i know i remember one time i remember talking to you like in hawaii like uh i'm sitting at the edge of the bed and i'm talking i'm like he's not answering i looked over and you just had your boots off (laughs) just passed out on the bed like he's completely fell asleep i was like i'll talk to him in the morning yeah yeah we uh rich and i spent a lot of late nights together working uh during that time but um yeah, I mean, we were put get put uh, we were putting together the the starts of Route 657, doing tons of consulting, doing tons of events. Um, my wife's mom, so my now mother in law, was also going through ovarian cancer. So I always tell people it was a lot harder probably wow. for her than it was for me because um, she kind of got hit uh, with you know the two most important people in her life you know with cancer. So um, that really, I think, and, and Rich can kind of attest to this too, is a, a big turning point, not only in my life, but just in my career too. Um, and that's when I really started getting into nutrition and, and really starting to, I was already kind of interested in fitness, but that was a little bit more, um, more on the front, front burner after that. And, uh, yeah, after that, I kind of decided I needed to do my own thing. Um, went down to Florida, spent a couple of years to save up some money, um, Back in 2019, I moved up here, and my goal was during uh, during the the entire time of having cancer. You know, I spent a lot of time in hospitals, and I remember I had had a pretty large surgery in 2016, and um, I was at Sloan Kettering in New York City, and I couldn't eat for six days because I had a pretty large abdominal surgery. It's a it's called a RPLND, and they take out all your lymph nodes in your abdomen, um, so you can't eat. And uh, I'm at Sloan. It's expensive, <laughs> really expensive. And uh, I thought, you know, this is Sloan Kettering in New York City. Like the food's got to be good. Well, spoiler alert, the food is not good. <laughs> I, uh, the first meal I had was sea bass. And I like looked at the line item on my, uh, on my bill afterwards. And it was like $50,000 for, for uh, hospitality. And that's when I was thinking like, man, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this in, in food service. So that was really when, when, when uh, the gear started to turn about how do we get better food into hospitals? How do we get better food into schools um, and better meaning locally sourced, organic, you know, real food. So um, that's kind of where I'm at now. I started a company called Elia um, back in 2020. We were going to launch April 1st, which should have been a sign <laughs> to launch a company on April Fool's Day, but uh, the pandemic happened and our mission at, or our 
really what we were going to bring to market at the beginning as our startup was we were going to go into businesses that don't have cafeterias and provide like pop-up cafeterias, you know, once a week or five times a week. Um, sticking with the same values that we hold today, which is basically local and organic whole foods, um, no processed ingredients. Um, so we're in the middle of negotiating a lease, pandemic happens, and we pulled out of that lease and kind of readjusted. And uh, what we found during that time is kind of talking to some of our clients is uh, what we call now the Elia fridge, which is a completely contactless refrigerator. All you have to do is swipe a credit card, the fridge unlocks, and it gives you access to ready to eat food. Um, all the food in the refrigerator is either locally sourced or organic. The locality doesn't really matter as much as the practices. That's really what we focus on. We're, we're huge proponents of uh, regenerative agriculture. Um, organic is kind of one of those things where we just go to organic if we can't see the practices. We know that they're not using glyphosate or some sort of weird pesticides. Um, and then we've got a ton of other just like values when it comes to food preparation and, and, and how we do sourcing. But um, I know that was long-winded, but that's... Uh, that's where I started and that's where we're at today. Well, um, <clears throat> before we kind of jump into any more questions, I, I did want to, uh, I did want to not move past, uh, I, that time in our lives, uh, whenever, uh, you, you were working, uh, we were working together and I, I feel like, uh, when you were going through that difficult time, um, it really kind of, it was probably the first time that, uh, somebody, my, my mom, had had cancer like earlier on, but I wasn't really as close to it. Like I didn't, I didn't really maybe understand what was happening um, as much because I was so young. But it was really kind of the first time that somebody that I saw every day that I kind of saw how quickly that that just happened. And I remember we were like, uh, you were like in the truck, and you kind of <laughs> like, like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm not feeling too well today. I was like, wow, that's yeah. that's kind of strange. But it was like literally like over the course of a couple of days, like everybody's like life had changed. And yeah. but I will say <clears throat> that um, it was very inspiring to just kind of see how you how you got through that and how you went through that and how you've kind of found a way to kind of have a long impact like on the trajectory of your life based on that adversity, because I think there's a lot of people out there that whatever they might, they, there may be something that they get diagnosed with or something really impactful happens in their life and you can go a very different direction. Um, and I think even the, I think the people around you, I mean, you kind of talked about your family and stuff like that. I think have, being around people, whether they're family or friends can kind of help you get through that, that, and everybody kind of feeds off of each other, but I just didn't want to move past. I mean, I know you kind of just touched on it, but I just thought it was like, <clears throat> such a powerful moment um, in your life and 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 mine uh, and everybody that was involved and and there still was this whirlwind of things that were happening every day like opening up roots and I remember talking to you like Danny um, maybe can you work on the uh, wine list um, and yeah. I'm going to travel to go do this thing and you were yeah. I mean you you really had really was amazing to see all the different stuff that you uh, continued to do to really kind of get roots up and running. I mean, it seems like just like it was yesterday, but it was years ago. And that was kind of how it all started. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to think back on like that time. And, and Rich, I do appreciate that. Um, whenever you say that something's inspiring, I feel like that holds some weight. So I, I do appreciate that. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, that was a, it was a crazy time. And it was also like, you know, it's stressful. 
And (laughs) like everything that I say in this podcast is loaded because Rich and I like have so much dialogue. Yeah, right. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's stressful. It's hard. Um, But like, you know, you get through it. I I actually, I was, as I was getting ready for this podcast, I thought about something um, that Rich said and taking it way, way far back. And you probably don't remember this at all, but whenever I was like a, I think I was a sophomore, it was at our showing. I think it was a junior showing. It probably wasn't my class because our class was pretty good. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, so everybody had just gotten like rocked. Like the, and for for those of you that I'm sure the Greenbriars come up a lot in these podcasts, but for just in case anybody doesn't know, uh, I was an apprentice under Rich Rosendale at the the Greenbrier in West Virginia. And uh, it was, we would do these showings and sous chefs would go through and critique, you know, your work. And then um, sometimes Rich would be able to make it. Sometimes different sous chefs would come. And sometimes there were just like, just random people there. It's hard to tell like what you were going to get yourself into. And I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was a junior showing, but the sous chefs ahead of time had just like lit everybody up and just pretty much told them to start over. Um, And it was really intense. And then, you know, Rich shows up a little bit later and goes through and looks at everything and he basically is just like guys what is going on and gave us kind of the the kick in the ass talk and uh one thing i remember you saying was and i'm gonna i'm gonna apologize in advance but you were like <laughs> guys if you if you think this gets easier like you're so mistaken and rich is the the executive chef at the hotel at this point right so training for boku's door so i'm thinking like what is this guy talking about like he sits on his computer hangs out with Tom. (laughs) Like like I see him up there in the crow's nest. Like he's going out to dinner with like Grant Ackett's and Tim Hollingsworth. And I'm down here like scrubbing the floors, you know? (laughs) So I'm like thinking that, right. And, uh, you know, life goes on. I'm 20, I'm 20 years old at this point. Um, and now, you know, I, I was through the opening of roots, you know, went through having cancer, like all this stuff. And I was actually at the shop today. I left a little bit early and uh, I was like scrubbing pots and pans. And I'm like, remembering that I got to meet with my CPA later on. Cause I got to file my taxes. I got to, you know, we got an online platform that's about to launch. I've got a meeting to, I had like three meetings this morning. I've got a meeting tomorrow with our videographer. We're starting to vlog, like all this crazy stuff. And that, for some reason, I haven't thought about that moment until like wow. this morning. <laughs> it was like, Oh yeah, I remember. I'll have to let Rich know that I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't listen. Uh, but it's true. I mean, it's it's uh, the different uh, adversities that life throws you uh, are ones that you you never see coming, and you don't realize that until you experience them for for your own for yourself. Yeah. You know. I mean, my biggest I think my biggest worries back then was show work, where I was going to get beer from because I was under. <laughs> and how to pay my rent <laughs> in no particular order <laughs> um, so yeah i just had to say that sorry i didn't want to get off track but i thought no, 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 that's okay i need to, I need we to figured we figured we would be going down the, the rabbit hole on this one and, and <laughs> we're we'll try to follow the script as much as we can but feel free to, to veer off yeah. so so like with last year like with the whole uh pandemic and then, then i want to let chris and uh, rachel get in here but explain um the because I I saw, and I think this is what kind of really intrigued me. I mean, I, I know that you guys, I've seen some of the Instagram and post, um, but was the the cooler, the, the refrigerator um, 
uh, merchandiser, I guess you, if you want to refer to it as, was that something that you pivoted and decided to work on that because of what happened with COVID or was that something that that was always kind of part of this whole uh, ecosystem of, of your business? Um, Cause I yeah. thought I've seen that on Instagram and, and it looked really interesting. If you can maybe share that with, with everyone. Of course. Yeah. So no, it was completely a pivot. 100%. I actually, I didn't even like the refrigerators at first. Um, we were meeting with a, I was meeting with a client. So what we had done is, uh, my wife's a, my wife's a nutritional therapist and she helps me with a lot of menu development, things like that. She's also a second grade teacher and 100% of the kids that are at her school are on free or reduced lunch. So the pandemic happened and we realized that the school didn't really have a plan. The school system didn't have a plan yet. They, they ended up doing one and we worked with them, but I had this company the, the school didn't have food. So what we did was we put together like a meals program where we were, you know, I had insurance. So I was like, well, I've got nothing else I can do. I might as well try and cook for these families. So we started a meals program where we were buying stuff from local purveyors because they were also hurting at the time because people weren't really coming out to the farmer's markets or anything like that. And um, during that time, I was like, okay, I got to figure out like what I'm going to do because people are not going to want to see their food laid out in a cafeteria style format. Um, from, from some small startup company, it's just not going to happen. And and when it does happen again, I don't know, like, I don't know how long that's going to take. So I was meeting with a client of ours that we had been working with on kind of developing things. And we were just like right about ready to launch. And, and, uh, they kind of pulled out and said, Hey, we're obviously going to have to wait. Um, and they're a co-working space. So we met back again in, in July and they said, you know, what worked out for us really well was there was this grocery store company and, and they had like an honesty market, like what you see at WeWork. Mm -hmm. where it's a refrigerator and you log what you take and then the company comes back around and checks the stock and and they uh they uh charge it to the account and i thought you know that's kind of antiquated it's not really what i want to do i I told my wife about i was like yeah you used to do this honesty market thing and she was like wait there's a lot of potential there you should you should you know reconsider that and i was like yeah but there's got to be something like i'm not worried about people stealing food if you have to steal food you know we'll give it to you that's that's kind of how we we operate but um, I just don't like the monotony of having to track people down and track accounts and do all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I just did some research. So basically from, um, inception to launch date, we found out we had that meeting like July 1st or July 2nd, and I signed the lease to our new space August 1st. So I pr- oh. basically <laughs> threw together or basically edited the business plan, um, pulled all my money out of savings, bought two refrigerators, shipped them over here from Silicon Valley. And, um, yeah, I just kind of went after it. I mean, that was, it was, wow. we didn't really have a lot of time left. Um, we had to get to market and I figured, Hey, this would be a good, interesting way before it was kind of hard to explain to people what we did because people don't really understand what food service management is. Um, so this was actually a, it was a huge pivot, but it was a really good way for us to get to market, uh, during COVID. So the, the coolers then are something that you found and then you brought them over and then you were able to load in your menus and, uh, and, and when you say like the honor system, like do people like swipe a credit card, but then they just grab what they paid for. Right. So no, they actually, every item has an RFID chip on it. Okay. Um, so we place RFID chips on every bowl, every can, every package. So you swipe the credit card that now has the, the refrigerator has now registered a user essentially. Okay. The refrigerator will then unlock once the card has been approved. And then anything that that's taken out is then registered via RFID. 
So it's similar to like Amazon Go. It's almost okay. the exact same technology. Um, it's just in a box. It's not in a, in a large store. Yeah. So are those, are those chips like just disposable then? They're just kind of like a little... Yeah, they're, they're, it's super cool. They're disposable. Isn't that crazy? They're microwavable. Yeah, it's insane. They're expensive. And they're microwavable? <laughs> yeah, they have, they have microwavable ones. They have uh, ones that, like, that can't react well with metal. I mean, there's a million different kinds of tags. That yeah. Um, but we've actually, because we're sourcing everything locally or organically... And Rich, you remember, like, I, I have huge commitment issues when it comes to food. So, like, at Roots, we had a chalkboard for, like, the first. I don't yeah. know if y'all still have the chalkboard up, but we were like, we don't know what's going to work. So, let's just put it in chalk. Let's just do a chalkboard. Yeah, yeah no, we still use do... the chalkboard. Yeah. Okay, good. It yeah. hasn't changed so, very much, though. But uh, yeah, that was right. a good strategy when we first got open. Yeah, let's just see what, let's let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And uh, now we, like, put things that are funny. Like, we tell people to text us on the tags because you can see the tags. But yeah. you have to label them. Um, so we change out the items all the time. So like, you might get one that says you're a whole snack, but it's like a bunch of different, you know, it could be a million different items or we have ones that say like text Elia and we put our cell phone number there and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the tags aren't cheap. <laughs> the, the, the cost of operating the refrigerator is not, not what people think it is. It's very expensive. However, it's, it's been a good pivot <laughs> away because what we've really been trying to do is look at the things that are the most expensive in food service, which is typically overhead, you know, your rent, um, which with the refrigerators, we can put these things anywhere. Right. Uh, we can put them outside. We can put them in businesses. We can put them in hospitals. We can put them in anywhere. Um, we have one in an apartment complex. that's doing really well. Um, so that's been a, yeah, it's been a huge, huge tool. So you can put one in Miami. Yeah. I was going to say, so, <laughs> so where, where are these located currently? Yeah. So we have one at the facility where we make all the food. And we just debuted one in an apartment complex, uh, like three minutes from our from our front door. We're trying to make sure that everywhere that we go, we're within close proximity because we're still working out the logistics of delivery. Um, and then we have one that we pop, do pop-ups all around the city. So we just did one at a coffee shop called Blanchard's, which is like <clears throat> Richmond staple. We actually used to use Blanchard's at, at Roots. That's right. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I recognized the name. Yeah. yeah. And um, so they, you know, I kind of, I use that partnership. I had my contacts from there still. So they were, they've been super great to work with. Um, but we now have, I think a week ago, I flew up to Philly and drove three back in the same day. And uh, we now have three more refrigerators. So we have five to total. And we're talking with um, some of the universities down here. Um, and we've got some meetings with the hospital coming up soon. So hospital was like our goal from the beginning, right? We wanted That's to awesome. start by getting into like food service with hospitals. Our goal was to like get into hospital cafeterias and take over the cafeterias. Um, probably not going to happen <laughs> now that we have these refrigerators. Um, it's, it's a lot easier. It's, it's a lot easier way to get our foot in the door. That's amazing. Danny, uh, you were just talking a little bit at the beginning, why uh, you changed kind of like the perspective of how you were thinking about fine dining and uh, being a little bit more healthier. Um, but why the shift? Why from fine dining to get involved into healthy food industry? And and also I wanted to ask what happened with uh, I don't know how to pronounce it like Cumberland Heritage. That was yeah. the other the other one that you were. I don't know if it's still alive. If you're still working it on the side little by little. But I know that your main focus is is Elia right now. Yeah. So um, to answer your second question, I'm going to go backwards. But to answer your second question first, so Cumberland Heritage is what I was doing all my consulting through. 
Um, I was working it with, on some like consumer packaged goods products through Cumberland Heritage, um, hoping to maybe see if I couldn't figure out a way to, to put the two together, consumer packaged goods. So things like um, perfect bars, um, you know, things that you would get at the grocery store for, for people that aren't familiar with CPG. Um, so trying to see if there wasn't a, a play there to get into food service. And I kind of decided that if I was going to do it, I was going to have to build it from the ground up and do it myself. And that's how, how Elia kind of got started. But um, the shift from fine dining, and I, I do want to clarify too, you know, I, I still love fine dining. I, I still, um, I've got a ton of cookbooks, you know, I've got the Noma cookbook, even at our shop, like we still use a lot of those similar techniques. Um, I will say the skill level of the food that we prepare is a lot lower. Um, we're not really focusing on those incredibly fine details. You know, we're not really hyper-focused on knife cuts or, you know, um, cooking skills. I'm trying to think of some other things really was with fine dining. At least my experience was mostly plating. Um, we plate with scoops, you know, um, we, we weigh our stuff before we pop it into bowls. It's, it's a lot more lax. Um, so just to clarify, like, I still love fine dining and I still have a ton of respect for that. Um, it just wasn't for me. I, I think it's something I realized really early on, you know, after being an apprentice and doing show work for three years, after working at the Greenbrier where there's, you know, tons of fine dining and even, even the work that Rich and I were doing, I think I kind of realized, you know, this is cool and this is fun. It's a lot of fun for me. Um, if I had the opportunity to, to do an event or something like that, where I, I was able to, you know, um, do one course or something like that, I would, I would jump on it in a heartbeat. Um, but yeah, the shift was just more about making food more accessible, making, making nourishing food more accessible. Um, and that was a conversation that Rich and I started having back in 2014, you know, whenever I was looking to come to Rosenau Collective is he, he used to say things like, we're looking for food that's craveable and how do we make food craveable? And then I've kind of taken that same idea, except how do we apply that to nutrient dense food stuff that's, that's good for you and nourishing. Hey everybody, just taking a real quick break. Wanted to let you know if you want to see any of our past episodes from the Let's Dig In podcast, you can go to richrosendahl.com, select podcast, and that will show you the links to everywhere the show is available. We also have the YouTube version of the show. You can watch that actually right in your own home. If you have a smart TV, just click on YouTube, go to Rosendahl Collective, and you can listen and watch some of the great guests that we've had on the show. Thank you all for continuing to support, like, and subscribe to this show. We're going to work hard to bring you more great guests. Let's get back to the conversation with Chef Danny Sterling. For a lot of the people out there that listen to the podcast and, and are in our world, there's, there's definitely a lot of people that have done like fine dining, but I think that your story and like what you're doing, what, what really intrigued me is that you have had that training at a very high level. And if you've never had that kind of training, it's kind of hard to go there with that level of attention to detail or execution or organization. But if you've had that training, you can apply it and put it toward anything. It doesn't have to be a pretty plate. You can still, you know, I, I know you still have the same quality standards. It's just that, and even like when we were getting roots open, was very casual compared to stuff that we were doing in the past. Um, but I also think that like with, with uh, so much that has happened with COVID out there, I tell a lot of people that the same amount of people are still eating every day. 
Now that's mm-hmm. not the same for the same, as far as the same amount of people that are maybe flying. There's not as many people flying. There's not as many people working in office buildings, but people are still eating every day. So if you're an innovative uh, entrepreneur or in, in, uh, a, a creative chef and you can figure out how to recalibrate your model to get your product to those people, mm-hmm. then this is actually a great time. This is a great opportunity. I mean, if there's been a lot of challenges last year, for sure, in COVID, but I think, I mean, I love hearing what you're talking about because I just think it's so uh, exciting and it. I, I like the whole tech component and and uh, I just think it's really interesting. And I think that a lot of people should look to that to, for inspiration to find their own path, whatever that may be. You know, you don't have to just be stuck in the mud and say, well, my, you know, how am I, we're not gonna be able to do my restaurant again. You know, it's not gonna be uh, as busy as it was before. It's like, well, change, recalibrate. I mean, look at what you're doing is like, is, is fascinating. It's really fascinating. Thank you. And just a just a quick plug: if uh, you you are stuck in the mud and you need a job, I'm hiring. <laughs> like five, five positions available. Anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you listen to this podcast, you're automatically hired. Uh, you're probably a, a very smart cook if you're listening to this podcast. Danny, where are you? Uh, what like what kind of positions? Like, is there a commissary that you kind of work out of? Like a a, a basic. Uh, yeah. kitchen that you do production and and ours also are you looking at other areas that you want to expand that was into my question are you gonna Can I take your question out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well we took a like an old cafe um that's in a, a pretty cool little part of, i'm in richmond virginia i probably should have said that earlier but i'm in richmond virginia so uh about an hour and a half south from uh leesburg or, or loudon county um but yeah, we're in, we're in Richmond in a little like cafe. We, we took it over. It's around 1500 square feet. Um, the rent is super cheap. We took the dining room out and we made it into a prep facility. So we've just put up stainless steel work tables, um, two door refrigerators. And then we have a, a really small hood that we cook underneath of, um, again, too, it's, it's not like we're doing two order cooking. Everything's it's essentially just all prep work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we utilize the space for. Um, yeah, you know, we're, we want to expand. It, the goal was to get 10 refrigerators in Richmond City uh, before we move on. And we, we'd we like to get into D.C. That would be the next market and then kind of on up the East Coast. Um, we're also working on some other some other revenue streams as we as we run the refrigerators as we continue to get more attention. But the day that we launched, um, a local publication called Richmond Biz Sense came through and, and checked us out. And they wrote an article about us. And Within 24 hours, we had like over 10 requests for refrigerators. Wow. Um, yeah, real estate developers, things like that. Now, the, the tricky piece is, is, is finding where it's going to work. Um, and then two, you know, we're, we're scaling slowly in, in a sense. We want to make sure that the, the product is, is, is great. Uh, we don't want to uh, lose an opportunity with the guest because we scaled too quickly. Um, so right. that's really, really important to us. Um, but yeah, we're, the goal would be DC next. Um, obviously, still operate out of uh, Virginia. Uh, we might be neighbors again soon. <laughs> um, and then you know, into Baltimore, Philly, New York. That's the that's the goal for sure. That sounds awesome. great, uh, Chef. Uh, why the why the name? Why Elia? So it's funny. Uh, Elia was basically just like a place marker. You know, I didn't really know what the name was going to be. I was struggling with the name. And uh, it's an acronym for eat like your ancestors. 
we believe in like ancestral nutrition and I was, I was really into paleo and that's actually a great question, Chris. And this is, this is going to have nothing to do with your question, but um, <laughs> we, we picked the name Elio because it stands for eat like your ancestors. My wife hates it. She hated it at the beginning. She was just like, oh, I don't like ancestral nutrition anymore. Cause we were kind of realizing like paleo and, and ancestral nutrition worked for us, but we could actually start incorporating some stuff into our diet. Cause we had been paleo since I got sick in 2016. So four or five years. And uh, I kind of started to realize, you know, for a while, I thought that, you know, paleo slash ancestral eating was the best thing that you could do for your body. Um, and now I'm starting to realize some people do really well on the vegan diet. Doesn't necessarily mean, mean that, you know, um, their ancestors ate a strictly vegan diet, uh, but it's what works for them. And that's really what we started doing with the vending machines was instead of, you know, just doing paleo items, or even vegan paleo items, which is like next to impossible to make taste good. Um, but we do it, we have some, um, but we, you know, we decided what, what we're really talking about when we say eat like your ancestors is focusing on your food. So focusing on the sourcing of your food, because that's what our ancestors did. If we go back to the paleolithic era is your number one focus was finding food. Um, the second piece is that all the farmers that we source from locally use these traditional techniques of farming and regenerative agriculture, where, a lot of the, the proteins that we source are multi-paddock grazed, they're on grass their whole life, and then they don't only have beef, they also have chickens and pork, and you know they have some, some of them even sell produce and things like that um, because they are you know this really thriving ecosystem of regenerative ag. So that's, I know that's long-winded, but that's kind of where, where we, we got the name from. No, I, I think that's, I think that's awesome because I think what you said is, you know, vegan works for some people, paleo works for some people. I think it's really important as somebody who focuses on nutritional eating is to focus on your body and how you yourself as an individual, you respond to the food. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're doing is really great. Giving people that option to, okay, vegan doesn't work for you. I'll try this. Right. I think that's really cool. That's a great point too, Rachel, just to your point. Um, we really just boil it down to the sourcing because veganism may work for you, um, but you know, refined sugar is vegan and we just don't use refined sugar because that's right. the thing that we think that most people shouldn't eat or uh, right. vegetable oils that have been yeah. bleached. We don't, we don't use those. We only use um, refined organic coconut oil to cook with and then um, a couple other oils that would be considered vegan. Um, we use in raw applications but and danny um, now, now that you were talking a couple of uh, ingredients that you use and 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 how you do you resource uh, all of them um can you talk a little bit about, about the menu and um do you have any desserts on it are you planning to have any desserts and how how you think about the dishes that you're gonna put in the menu which one is your favorite one okay so number one it just has to taste good like it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about this today too, a little bit. Um, wh whenever I was competing, so I did a, I did a lot of competing in high school. And then as an apprentice, you know, you're doing show work that they're not necessarily competitions, but you're essentially competing every five days. And uh, then I did the, the mentor competition, the young chef competition. And I thought at the time, I was like, this is going to, this is going to get me to go do Boku's door. Cause that was a goal of mine at, at a point in time in my life. And, um, what I did was I, I made the best dish that I possibly could. I was like, they gave me the protein with salmon. I was like, let's 
throw as many techniques in here, as much flavor as I possibly can into this dish. And then I'll scale back on the time. You know, if I don't have enough time to braise something, I'll, I'll figure out a way around it. So we take a very similar approach now to what we do at Elia because I might say like, let's make this as delicious as possible, but you know, we can't find a high quality goat cheese. So we may remove the goat cheese or we can't fit it into the price point. So we remove the goat cheese or, you know, something along those lines. So we first just start with like, you know, Big Macs are really good. Like they taste really good, right? I mean, it's I, I, I it's hard to deny that. I haven't had one in a really long time. I will say that, um, but I remember them being really good. Um, so now we have a mushroom burger on the menu that tastes like a Big Mac, and we just moved some some flavors around and, and just changed out the sourcing a little bit. We're like, oh man, this tastes just like a Big Mac. So that's that's how we develop the menu. Is let's make the food taste amazing because that's accessibility, right? I mean if people aren't willing to try the food because they don't like it or it's not approachable to them, like we have a chicken bacon ranch on the menu and it's literally chicken bacon and ranch dressing and the ranch dressing we make in house. And we use, um, we also chop up a bunch of broccoli stems and cook it in bacon fat and garlic and onions and add that to the salad, which like, it's a nice way to sneak in, um, vegetables. Um, but it's, it's you know, it's keto and it tastes really good. So that's how we develop the menu. Another piece of what we do is we don't waste anything. Um, so we basically have a process for every vegetable that we purchase. So for example, like the chicken bacon ranch, we take the broccoli stem and there's like that really woody part at the end, we compost that. Um, we take the rest of the stem and we chop it up and saute it in bacon fat, garlic and onions. And we put that in a couple different dishes on our menu. And then the florets we roast and we add that to a pork dish that we have. We have that exact same, well, not exact same. We have a very similar procedure for every single thing that we have. So like butternut squash seeds, we'll either toast and put on a salad or we'll add to our stock. Butternut squash peels, we'll add to the stock. The only things that we've kind of had trouble with are like cauliflower leaves. The, the, the actual rib of it, we'll chop up and add to our brassica chop salad. Um, but other than that, we'll just compost it. Um, same thing with our animals. We buy in, um, whole chickens. We're not at a space yet where we can buy in whole, um, pigs or whole cows, but when, when we're big enough and we're kind of rolling, we will, um, we utilize all the bones. We utilize all the skin. We make bone broth. We braise the chicken and we do like a ranchero now, um, with the bone broth. So we utilize everything that we bring in. Um, so that also plays heavily in the menu development too. Awesome. You know, and the big thing is, uh, you mentioned about just like, tasting good. And I think a lot of times, uh, for a lot of chefs, maybe they don't have the confidence, uh, in the, the product, uh, to, to be simplistic. And I, one of the things, I don't know why, just as you were talking, when you mentioned broccoli, I remember you grilling broccoli. Um, I think it was on the big, big green egg, like up at roots when we yeah. first got open. But I remember that broccoli, uh, was like extraordinary. And it was like, how delicious grilled broccoli can really be, you know? And it's like, sometimes we just, I don't know, people, like, especially chefs, they almost are like compelled to kind of like keep wanting to do more stuff to something. And this is coming from former Boku <laughs> store competitor who, right. you know, manipulated like everything you could possibly imagine. But I, you know, I think going to those places and seeing those things and then saying, hey, I'm just going to smoke a brisket or I'm going to grill some vegetables and to find the appreciation and the simplicity with that 
Um, but yeah, what you're talking about, it really strikes a chord, I think. And I, I think more people really need to think like that when they cook and it can be less intimidating too. Yeah. And I, I like what you said too, about sneaking in nutrition in different areas. I'm always trying to do that. You know, I cook for a family and they've got kids and it's, how do I get these kids to eat vegetables? Well, I cut up spinach and put it in a quesadilla or, you know, cut up the broccoli stems and put them in a quesadilla. It's, I love that idea of like sneaking nutrition in where nobody's going to notice, but it tastes delicious. Lawrence, so I love that. Like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lawrence is going to hate me. <laughs> what ideas did you give to my dad? He's going to be. Yeah, right, right, right. Danny, what, what other um, like health and wellness trends do you see um, evolving like in the industry? I mean, and, and it doesn't even have to be just like cooking techniques. Uh, I mean, do you think that there's other um, bigger trends that you think you're going to see, maybe the pandemic has contributed to some of that, but what other things are you, is kind of on your radar now? Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, I've, I've been saying this a lot. Um, the idea of regenerative agriculture has been around for a really long time. Um, if anybody's watched, you know, food Inc, which I'm sure most people that are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast have, you know, Joel Salatan at Polyface Farms was talking about regenerative agriculture years ago. Yeah. Um, I think that that's going to be something we can continue to see. People are going to be talking a lot more about that. General Mills put a bunch of money into some regenerative agriculture stuff. Um, I think that that's going to be a trend. I think it's it, it may have already kind of come and gone. It's hard to tell. As far as actual food um, preparation and, and, and that kind of stuff goes, it's so hard to tell. I saw you had the guys um, from Spice on. And um, I think stuff like that, it's, it's, it's interesting because what they've got is, you know, a uh, a customizable healthy option you know whenever I kind of looked at their tags and it said like low FODMAP I'm like how do you do that I mean that's crazy to be able to do you know that kind of stuff so I think um yeah I just think more inclusive uh to to, to dietary restrictions is, is going to be something that's going to come to the forefront especially with COVID um and then you know it's hard to tell I I wish I had the crystal ball because it's like it's all the time I think I'm on a trend and I'm, I'm, I'm way off, uh, <laughs> especially in nutrition. You know, it's like I said earlier, it's not a one size fits all. And yeah. um, I think there's the fact that more people are focusing on it now. That's something I will say I've noticed in the last really five years is that more people are thinking about this stuff. Um, yeah. And I think the, the, the connection between, um, you know, nutrition and then uh, environmental um, responsibility. So a lot of people don't know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how uh, animals produce methane gas and, and, and all these things and how it's bad for the environment. Um, all of the farms that we source from, to the best of my knowledge, are testing their soil regularly to make sure that they are actually sequestering more carbon than they're emitting. So I think that that's something else that we're going to see. All of the stuff that we put our food into is in compostables. And that came from a nutritional perspective because we didn't want our food sitting up against plastic that was unregulated because plastic has a lot of plasticizers, um, endocrine disruptors, things like that, that aren't really good for your nervous system. And then also too, not great for, for your, uh, your just overall health and wellness. Right. So we did compostables for that reason. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot more of that kind of going back and forth in the future, uh, the environmentalist and the, the, the nutrition aspect. 
Yeah, I think that's huge too. The compostable containers, I think people are really trying to move away from one-time use plastic and into that compostable and reusable thing. Um, Where do you draw inspiration from for new dishes? Like, do you find yourself sitting down at night looking through cookbooks or you just scrolling through Instagram and you see something you're like how can I incorporate TikTok. that like where do you draw your inspiration you know TikTok. yeah, <laughs> TikTok, yeah. <laughs> no honestly you know I wish I could tell you that uh, it's it's honestly the the last couple of weeks <laughs> It's just been, let's see how we can utilize stuff and make it taste good. And it's just worked. Um, honestly, I'm getting to a point now where um, I'm trying to pass the inspiration stuff off to other people. I mean, I'm still super inspired by food. Um, again, I think the biggest inspiration that I, I draw is just like what Rich was saying earlier about, you know, you eat grilled broccoli and you're like, this is delicious. How do I incorporate this somehow? Um, again, cooking seasonally helps us out a ton. We get stuff when it's at their peak. We use a, a, a farmer aggregate called 4P Foods. Um, they're based out of Alexandria, Virginia. It used to be called Local Food Hub. Um, but, you know, they, they're always sending me emails and saying like, hey, we've got this if you're interested. And now that the springtime's That's coming awesome. around, there's going to be a lot more of that. So the seasons help out a ton. Mm-hmm. Like whenever quarantine happened last year, and I saw Rich was posting a ton of stuff and continuing to like on his personal about um, dishes that he's cooking at home like the changing of the seasons can be really inspiring because it's, you know, it's nice outside now. And the first thing I'm going to do is go outside on the grill. So like we've got a grill set up at Elia. So there's probably going to be something grilled on the menu soon. We also don't have a ton of space. So the grill works out perfectly <laughs> um, or smoker, you know, that that's, that's going to be the next purchase. But I, I think that um, the days of like tr- trend chasing for me are probably over. I used to be really heavy into that. You know, I would look on Instagram and see what Michelin started, you know, chef or you know uh even just blog was doing and i would try to copy it and uh you know it was hard (laughs) it's like you can never do it as well as those guys because they're doing it in a restaurant every single night and i was trying to do it once for instagram (laughs) you know right Um, it's it's not that easy uh so yeah honestly that's really where i just draw inspiration from is the changing of the seasons and it's like if you can throw it together in a pot real quick and see if it works and it works it you know, it usually comes out really well. Yeah. Danny, um, when, when we were uh, spending time together, I know uh, one of the big topics, and I think it was kind of like when you first got started was the uh, CrossFit. And uh, are you still, are you still doing the CrossFit uh, is, I mean, I'm, I know you yeah. fitness and wellness is a big part of it, but there's so many different ways out there for people to exercise. Uh, is that still an avenue that you've continued to kind of, um, as far as your training, do you still do a lot of that or have you also incorporated, um, other, other things? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> yes. And I have started incorporating other things because I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> I'm like, I'm starting to tell, you know, I, um, <laughs> I, I usually work out five days a week in some capacity, unless like, you know, I'm doing a pop-up like last week, it didn't work out. <laughs> I had, I was up at, you know, 4 a.m. and I was home at 9 a.m., 9 p.m. So it was one of those kind of weeks. Um, startup life will will do that to you. Um, but yeah, it's still super important to me to just get moving. Um, I think that for anybody's, you know, health and wellness journey, you got to find stuff that's sustainable. And CrossFit's great. 
you just have to be able to check your ego, I think in some ways. And I'm, and I'm talking to myself here um, to be able to go into the gym and not push it too hard, especially if you're somebody that's super competitive. Um, if you're somebody that, you know, feels good about beating everybody, <laughs> um, you gotta, you really gotta check your ego at the door because you can get injured. And, you know, I've been, I've been, yeah. I have a huge disadvantage. I have a, I had a massive, uh, you know, abdominal surgery and didn't realize how much that, you know, was going to plague me in the future. So five years later, you know, I'm dealing with lower back pain and things like that. And like I said earlier, I'm not getting any younger. So I'm definitely looking at more, um, less, uh, less intense. I shouldn't say less intense, just, um, less high impact training yeah. for sure. Um, more thoughtful movement, um, yoga, that kind of stuff. Just get um, you one of these so, headstand machines. Yeah, exactly. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. What, <laughs> look at Rachel would, on Instagram. She is like crushing it. Surgery. Yeah. The, you know, but I, I think the more, you know, even just in talking with you, I feel like the uh, training is part of it, but it's almost like if you're not paying attention to like what you're putting in your body, uh, like what food you're eating, then it's almost like there's no level of uh, uh, working out that's going to be able to fix, you know, I mean, I, I look at it as like, if you eat a donut every day for a year, well, a year from now, you're a donut, you know, I mean, it's like, you gotta <laughs> think about what you're putting, what you're putting into your body. And um, I, I think, you know, people are, regardless of what diet uh, trends or diet uh, styles that you're into, I mean, it's, it's really probably the most important parts of fitness and wellness is like what you're eating, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so um, let's see here. So Danny, Chris, let you... Danny um, yeah, uh, talking about a little bit about the health and wellness. Um, what do you think that are some of the general misconception of the, the public about uh, eating healthy? And what for you is uh, clean eating? What, what, what does that mean? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like I used to be so in tune with what was happening in the health and wellness world. And I feel like now that I've, you know, started a company, I'm like so disconnected because for us, again, you know, Julia, my wife is a nutritional therapist. So what, what we believed for a very long time was one very specific thing. And it was almost polarizing in a way. And we realized that it's probably just not the case. So I think that the big common misconception is just that, that, you know, one, there is a one perfect diet and that's just not true. Um, I know that's a huge generalization and a, that might be a, a, a big, um, a big statement, but I just don't feel as though there's one size fits all diet for everybody. And I think that that's a big misconception. I would agree. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree that, more. Um, Okay, good. I feel that I'm in good company. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, wait, you. we'll wait and see what uh, what's said in the comments. And then we'll right. <laughs> I mean, even before we got on with you, I mean, we literally almost echoed that exact same thing about training, you know, like yeah. what it, not everybody, right. Their bodies don't really react the same way to, you know, weights versus running versus biking. And it's kind of like what fits, you know, what fits uh, your, yeah. Of course. And I think that that's, you know, you got to find what's sustainable for you. If right. you show up to the CrossFit gym and have a panic attack, cause you feel like you're going to puke after your workout, you're probably <laughs> not going to go, you're probably not going to go to the gym that often. Yeah. Right. Um, and if every time you eat a paleo diet, you know, your sweet potatoes make you sick, like you're probably not going to do very well on that right. diet or if, you know, so I think the biggest thing is that, um, 
Chris, I'm sorry. I completely have gone. I completely forgot your question. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was the uh, at least common, common misconception. Uh, well, you, you, answer, you answered the first one. The second one was, yeah. uh, uh, in your words, what is clean eating? Yeah, I think it's just whole foods. You know, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to oversimplify it, but, you know, if it grows out of the ground, if it's on the outsides of the, the grocery store, there's a million sayings for it, you know, um, that's what clean eating, clean eating is to me. Um, but I think that for me personally, I take it a step for, further about where it comes from specifically. Um, you know, organic isn't necessarily the best thing in the world. Uh, if it's grown in soil that's not nutrient dense, if the if we're monocropping broccoli um, and only broccoli can grow in that soil, the nutrients aren't going to be as diverse as if it was grown um, with cover crops and with livestock on the farm. Um, and I think that obviously too, that, you know, those farms are few and far between um, because of our food system, and and that's a a bigger challenge. But I think that. If you can source your food from a local farmer where you see the practices and you can cook it at home, that's the cleanest you can get, um, in my opinion. You know, you have to do the research yourself and it's going to be subjective and it's going to kind of be um, what works for you. But that's that's my my idea of clean eating. That's awesome. And Danny, I know we're getting uh, close here coming up on the hour, so we'll kind of go around the horn here with uh with an, another question. Um, one, uh, I noticed uh, <clears throat> recently, I saw that you were, I think maybe it was, maybe I saw it was like you and Corey were doing a um, clubhouse um, yeah. app. Uh, are you really doing a lot more um, social media uh, with the company or is it, uh, is it hard to find the time? Like, what do you, like, what are you using as like the methods to be able to kind of promote um, the company and all the things that you guys are, are involved in. Yeah. Mostly just begging people to let me come on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's why I've been doing a lot of promotion. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah. Instagram number one, you know, it's, it's the best way to convey the message uh, rich to your point. Like right now in the pandemic where everybody's at is online. And like, that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it was before the pandemic. And, you know, our values are sourcing, sustainability, and service. So we have an automated vending machine, essentially. So service is really tough. And um, we make sure that through social media, we're trying to create a genuine connection with anybody that uses our products. Um, so social media has been huge. My thought about Clubhouse specifically is that I'm hoping that that's how we can kind of build a direct connection to our company is through Clubhouse. Um, now how that works, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Clubhouse is tricky. Um, I don't have enough time today for Clubhouse because I'll get stuck on there for hours. Um, yeah. so balancing a startup operation and, you know, my, my relationship with my wife, I, um, I really have to be conscious of that time. And honestly too, Instagram takes up so much of my time. Yeah. So in a way too, we're a B2B company. You know, we put these refrigerators in other businesses. So LinkedIn has been huge for us. Um, but yeah, I, I DM people all the time on Instagram. If somebody follows us, I send them a DM and ask me if they've used our product. And if not, um, I ask them if I can you know, help them out with any questions. I'd say that probably, uh, 80% of what we're, where I'm spending my time in, as far as marketing goes is, is where it's at is on Instagram, just talking to people. Um, cause you can't have that face to face candor anymore. Right. 
So you definitely feel like, especially like in the, the last year, I mean, having the role as being like a chef, you know, or earlier on, you know, in the Greenbrier days and stuff, uh, do you feel now that you, you can really feel that kind of uh, tug of war for your, for your time as far as like, you know, being an entrepreneur, I mean, like it basically yeah. everything you said, you're, you have all these different roles. It's like, right. you know, quality and connections and trying to build the business and personal relationship working on all that and it's almost like trying to work on the business and in the business at the yeah. same time uh can be can be difficult but do you do you feel like you're kind of in that that now yeah you know i got to be really smart about where i spend my time um it's uh you know there's always that kind of dilemma of do you focus on day-to-day operations and get in there and pick up a knife and hop on a board or do you just trust somebody to do it um or make sure you train them really well and that's kind of where we're at right now is just train our people really well um again if you're looking for a job danny at elliotfood.com send me your resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we're looking for a we're looking for somebody to really take over um, operations so that i can kind of get back out there and, um you know shift my focus a little bit more i think i think you know starting roots to um and, and even too with Rosedale Collective and my responsibilities there helped me kind of get my feet wet a little bit with that, being able to balance the two. Cause you know, we were doing a lot of the social media and taking, I mean, we were taking photos and doing all that stuff. And we did yeah. that all the, all the, well, unless it's a picture of me or, or myself doing something, all of our food photos are, are, are us. I mean, I took a, I take all those pictures because it costs way too much money to have a photographer come out every time you change yeah. on the menu. Um, so we just try to find something that we can dial in and, and do that all the time. Um, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot different too. I feel like, um, I, I never owned a restaurant, um, before 2010. I know Rich, you did. Um, but I feel like back then too, it was, you had your very traditional marketing streams. You didn't have Yelp, LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat. We're literally on every social media platform. Yeah. And uh, I've really tried to commit to like two. <laughs> so like TikTok hasn't even gotten there yet. We're like, I tried a couple of TikToks. Um, Rich, your TikTok's great. I don't know if it's your personal or if it's your uh, Rosedale Collective one, but I saw it the other day and I was just like, I know it's probably Rachel or Chris that's picking your songs though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Rachel. Yeah. She's my, she's my advisor for music tunes. She actually, it's funny because yeah, she actually has like we did some stuff in Atlanta. I was like, Rachel, what are some cool songs to do for the uh, this plating display? So yeah, she's got a she has a the, the ear of the for it. Yeah. So I yeah. think uh, "Body" by Megan The Stallion was one of them, and I was like, Rich didn't pick this. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I never even heard the song before. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- to answer your question, Rich, that's uh, that's really. I mean, you nailed it. It's. It is a tug of war. I mean, and I yeah. think that, that but I, I'm sure you probably go through the exact same thing now as, as you guys are growing. And um, I mean, you were on a board at Roots, whatever I was there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> in the first couple of weeks, I think I crazy. still have a picture of you washing dishes. Yeah, it was like me and you and uh, <laughs> whoever happened to walk in and want a job. I mean, <laughs> cutting fries and Man, that's true. Yeah, That's true. it was not the institution that you all see. No, it was, yeah. it was a good start. We had a, <laughs> we had a really good run. Um, I, the, like, you know what else I was thinking about too today? And this is going off track from your original question is that like the stuff that we used to do back then um, just worked. Like there were, we obviously had challenges just like any, 
you know, whenever you're trying to do a dinner for 500 people in Key Largo and you're, you know, flying most of it down there, like package, I don't know, Chris probably remembers whenever that Paco jet package got lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Like we had, we had hip checks, you know, yeah. I, I, I every, every single trip, every we, single we had trip. hip checks for sure. But whenever I flew up to Philly to get those refrigerators last week, I literally had every single hip check that you can imagine. Like <laughs> the bank wire didn't go through, like my back locked up and I couldn't turn my head. It snowed and sleeted the whole way. Like literally every Whoa. single thing you can think of. And I'm like thinking back and maybe it's just hindsight. And I'm like, you know, honeymooning it. But I feel like whenever we were doing like, there was so much potential for things to go awry with oh, yeah. like, some of those. <laughs> And it's just like, I look back on it. I'm like, how the hell did it not? Like yeah. some of those events, like even the Venetian luncheon where we did a million courses and like floating on the, over the gondola. Floating over, like, <laughs> like, crazy stuff. And it's like roots. We just opened. We just were like, well, let's just, let's just open it and not tell anybody. And like the first week we, none of us slept because it was so busy. We're like, how did people hear about us? Yes. <laughs> it's just like, it all worked though. You know, yeah. it was never like, I don't think there was ever any crashing and burning that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we maybe created a little bit of stress for Tom sometimes and, <laughs> and, and you know, just some of our ideas and like, we're going to do this or you know, yeah. new piece of equipment coming in. But, you know, I think that a lot of people, <clears throat> that's why it's wonderful to be able to talk with you because where you're at in the runway of your, of your business launching is that a lot of people, maybe they don't start something because they look at it from the outside looking in and think that you have to start and that it looks like that on day one. Yeah. It's like, you know, things are a little messy and where do you start? Well, you start at the beginning. And the main thing is, is that you just start and you just keep going. And I, I really appreciate that you are kind of peeling back and, and kind of giving us a peek into uh, the growth and how you've kind of launched this idea. I mean, I, I just found it like, really fascinating as I was looking at it on Instagram. And I love it because I think that technology and innovation, like these are the things that examples that people that are out there that maybe are kind of bummed out because their restaurant or their catering operation has been impacted negatively from the pandemic is that you just got to recalibrate and, and be nimble. You just can't keep rowing in the same direction you were rowing in before just because it worked for 20 years. Um, the world has changed and man, it changed faster and more in a bigger way than we ever could have imagined. And, but you're, you know, that hasn't stopped you. So I think it's just, it's really awesome to be able to hear. And we, and we'd love to be able to kind of come back, uh, you know, later in the year or whatever, and kind of yeah. get an update. Um, but let me, I want to let Chris and Rachel jump in here with, uh, let me, uh, let me turn my light on real quick, just so I'm not too dark. Okay. Did that help at all? Not <laughs> really. <laughs> no, it looks good. You look good. You look good. <laughs> I just realized it was like slowly starting to get darker. Five minutes before the interview closes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, you look that's, good. It looks good. That's all right. Rachel, um, you want to go first? Yeah. So I have two final questions. The first being, do you ever miss that fine dining plating and do you ever pull it out for your wife at date night? That's my first question. And then my second question is, 
with this conscious and clean eating and this, this nutritional lifestyle that you live and that you preach, what's your go-to cheat meal? Mm. All right. So first question is, yeah, I mean, I, I miss like some things about restaurant culture. I feel like it, that's a whole nother podcast, right? (laughs) Um, you know, uh, we have that now at Elia, you know, we have a team where it's like, there's great candor and um, it's a really positive work environment. It's what I always kind of wanted in, in fine dining. And I never really felt like I got, um, but the plating and things like that, I do miss it at times, but I mean, I've been so just excited about this business and being able to like talk, like whenever, whenever I was at Roots and uh, I started working with people, you know, really like working on training, focusing on training, focusing on business operations, all that went out the window. I like really didn't care about the creative side or not that I didn't care. I just didn't really miss it. It's the same thing. Now, last year, while I was building this business, right before the pandemic, I was burning the candle at like every end, trying to get this business plan together, um, trying to secure financing, trying to do all that stuff, lease negotiations, all that. And um, basically pandemic happened and I just started like I picked up the Noma cookbook and that's when I was like oh, I kind of missed this and I did some of that for date night for for Julia yeah that's awesome. um and uh I haven't done it in a while so maybe I should probably make a note to do so <laughs> <laughs> thank you for reminding me you're welcome <laughs> um and then go to cheat meal you know we uh because we don't we really just focus on sourcing so if we're going to make, if we're going to eat pizza, we just get King Arthur flour and I make a pizza here at home on the cast iron over the fire. Um, but you know, there are also people here. I mean, Richmond is such a huge food town. There's a, um, I don't know what they put in it, but there's a, a burger down the street at this restaurant called Laura Lee's and it has like kimchi mayonnaise and stuff on it. And we mm. crush those. Sounds good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be, uh, that would be it. And then I feel like I don't know. Yeah. I think pizza is like, just, I mean, you can't, you can't miss with pizza. Um, yeah. I think if that was going to be the go-to cheat meal, I'm trying to think if there's anything that we just like feel super guilty about. I don't think that there is <laughs> anymore. I mean, we've been so focused on this stuff for the last couple of years that, uh, you know, sometimes if like we're out, I can't think of anything, man, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> it's crazy too because as you get farther into this nutritional lifestyle your tastes change and your cravings change mm-hmm. i mean i used to be just for an example like i used to be the biggest ferrera rocher fan like that was my go-to candy mm-hmm. i've been on this nutritional health journey for the past you know six months and my mom sent me a box for christmas and they made me sick i can't eat They're them like, anymore sweet, right they're, it's too sweet. I'm not, my body's not used to that kind yeah. of highly processed chocolate anymore. And it's just so, it's crazy to watch your body evolve and change as you start nourishing it properly. Yeah. Danny, um, so if uh, by any chance anyone of the, the people that are listening want to work with you, uh, where can people find out more about you, uh, social media or email? Yeah. Which one you think is the best uh, way to reach out to you? Yeah, email's great. I'll uh, you can put my email in the show notes. It's just Danny D A N N Y at Eliafood.com. And then to anybody that has any questions, I mean, I give like my business cards out to everybody at the door whenever they come into Elia to check us out. Um, same thing, like our our phone number, our Elia phone number, which goes directly to my phone, is on our website. 
if people have questions, if they want to know more about what we're doing, like, please just check out our website or shoot us a DM on Instagram at Elliot food. Um, I try to get back to everybody as quickly as I can, but love to love to create new connections and chat with people. Awesome. Well, Danny, um, it's been great to be able to catch up with you. We could go on for hours and, uh, obviously, uh, just kind of reminisce on a lot of the stories, but, uh, really thrilled to be able to see what you're doing. I think, like I said, it's inspiring. It's a big part of, uh, of our show. I mean, we, we really feed off of the people that we bring onto the show and, uh, our audience does too. So, I uh, want to send uh, our best to you for continued uh, success and tell Julia um, we said hello and uh, hope that we'll see you up here in Northern Virginia. Who knows, maybe might be a good place to, to launch and uh, yeah. get one of your units uh, in one of the stores somewhere up here. But uh, keep us posted. Anything that we can do with our audience to share with uh, any initiatives, we'll certainly share about the great opportunities um, but really just great to be able to kind of catch up with you, uh, in, in, uh, over the call. So thanks for giving us your time. Likewise. Thanks. Thanks, Chef. I appreciate your time as well. Um, yeah, it's been great. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, Take care, Danny. Continued Thank success. You. Hey everybody. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Danny Sterling. Uh, definitely support him. Check out his website. Uh, who knows you may be seeing one of his vending machines in a city near you. Uh, and also, I want to say thank you to all of our sponsors. We've got some new ones for this season. Uh, Art of Flame Grills, you know that I've been using them for many years. You've probably seen us using them at the Masters. We've used them at Hawaii Food and Wine Festival. They're, for me, they're the funnest thing to cook on when you're talking about cooking outside. They really elevate the outdoor experience. Uh, they've got cool accessories. Uh, they have just incredible uh, design. They're as beautiful to look at as they are fun to cook on. So check out their website uh, for all the new models. Uh, they're just incredible. Uh, also, we're really excited to be working with Dry Ager. If you love restaurant quality dry aged beef uh, or any kind of meats, uh, these are incredible units. For the, for the first time, really, you have this opportunity now to have one of these in your own home. Uh, and of course, they work great in restaurants and clubs. Uh, steakhouses, resorts. It's a way to showcase and really launch a professional dry-aged meat program in your home or your own restaurant. They're incredible. Check out their website. They have beautiful models, and we are just having so much fun with these. Uh, and also, we want to say thank you to Verlasso Salmon. Uh, we do events all over the world. Uh, we feature Verlasso Salmon in those events. We use them on our menus. Uh, we love Verlasso Salmon because of its sustainability its texture and taste and consistency. Uh, we're big fans and thank you to Verlasso Salmon. Check them out and give them give them a try for your own restaurants. I know you're gonna be happy. Also, we wanna say, we wanna say thank you to Komi, K-O-H-M-E-E. It is the, uh, for us, the, the best way to communicate our recipes and menus with our entire team and really keep everybody plugged in to the most up-to-date recipes and menu resources so our entire team knows what to cook uh, and the the execution standards of it. It's a great tool. We use this in our kitchens and we encourage you to check out their website. It's a great tool. And thanks to all of you for continuing to like and subscribe to the show. Uh, we really appreciate you liking it. It really helps us continue to keep the show out there. Uh, we're going to work hard to bring you more great content, more great guests, uh, because we're looking to be inspired and educated just like you. We'll see you next week with another episode of Let's Dig In Podcast. Thanks so much.